to the Locked on Grizzlies podcast. My name is Sean Coleman, wherever you are and wherever you are listening. Hope that you're doing well. It's a pleasure to be with you. We are recording this live while the Grizzlies and Pistons are playing. Of course, this is for our Friday episode, but I'm glad to welcome continuing on with the uh, month I've been looking forward to talking to some of my favorite Grizzlies follows when it comes to Grizzlies Twitter. I'm glad to welcome Matt Herdlicka. Matt, how are you doing this evening, sir? I'm doing fantastic, Sean. How are you? Doing, doing just fine. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a lot of fun to uh, have you on the show. My guess is you're ready to tune into the Grizzlies game. Uh, hopefully, a game that they'll be able to continue their good play on from last night. Oh yeah, I got it queued up. I'm talking to you, life couldn't be better. <laughs> well, I appreciate you saying that. Um, I've been looking forward to talking with Matt um, for quite a while, such as Chase, such as Joe Molinax, uh, Chase Lucas, Joe Molinax. Uh, Matt um, is absolutely wonderful. Um, for, for a long time now, since I've kind of gotten into Grizzlies Twitter, Matt is stood out as being one of the you know, best writers, best minds when it comes to following the Grizzlies. And so if you are not following him, I would highly suggest you. We'll get into a bit later on in the show where you can follow his work. But one of the reasons why I wanted to get Matt on the show was because he's wrote several pieces this um, year over on his Patreon page. And the latest piece that he wrote was talking about Ja Moran and Matt Jaw has been kind of a fun news story this week with some comments that he made is good play and things such as that. But Matt, before we get too deep into it, you commented on Ja before and just how his style of play at times amazes you over the past two years. And as long as you follow the Grizzlies, what makes Jaw so special in your mind? What makes him stand that stand out to a level that we may not have had before in a singular player in Grizzlies franchise history? Well, Ja is a classic point guard in every sense of the way of, of the way people use that. But he is a little, you know, classic point guard is a little uh, out of style these days. I mean, basically every one of the best um, point guards in the league are a three-point shooter. You know, it's Chris Paul. Even Chris Paul has a three-point shot, but it's Chris Paul, Steph Curry, Dame Lillard, Trey Young. All those guys, you know, are just real efficiency like geniuses like you know they, they just get up threes they get to the line jaw is just he he has this ability to scale his teammates where it's just what you think of as a point guard where he sets people up he gets into the lane he probes and eventually the defense doesn't really know what to do with him because they don't know he can make every and see every pass in the book so it makes people kind of like second guess what he's going to do because he's kind of a hack where, you know, there is no, you, you a lot of times everybody, the defense knows where the ball should go. You know, we're, we're moving here. So he's going to, that's going to be the open man, but Jock can just kind of hold it for, for that less, that, that extra step. And it really like frees up his teammates. So the idea I was thinking of was, he really like makes his teammates better and he's so good already that, you know, he kind of holds everybody to a standard. It's, it's this kind of like classic idea of the alpha dog, like just sort of making everybody fall in line and play together as like a collective rather than, you know, the, 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 the ISO ball and um, the heliocentrism of like the modern game where it's like, you know, Luca, Porzingis pick and roll every single time or Trey Young, John Collins pick and roll every single time or Steph, you know, taking a three and, and he, he John just isn't really like that yet, um, which is interesting to me. 
interesting concept about it is this, is that, you know, you mentioned those efficiency, um, you know, ratings and, and the piece that we're talking about is what we'll allude to in just a second um, is talking about some comps that have been out there in terms of who Jaw has been compared to this early in his career directly and how he stacks up against other young stars that are in the league right now. But one of the things that you mentioned, and we've seen the discussions all year long, is that the opinion that people have of Jaws kind of dwindled down a bit because he's not had that second-year efficiency statistically that people may have thought you know he would take like Trey and Luca and others have had. But as I've talked about before on the show, and as you alluded to in your latest piece, the thing about Jaw is is that there should be a bit more emphasis when it comes to his valuation outside the box score. And I think a big part of it comes down to his ability to judge whether to take over a game through being a primary scorer or through amplifying his teammates. So even if statistically he hasn't taken a step forward like many people thought he would this year, I do think it's fair to say, Matt, that he's taken a step forward in being able to judge when to do one or the other. And it's correlating better with the Grizzlies winning when he either takes a step back like he did in early April or when he stepped up like he's done against better teams since the start of March. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, dating back to before the season, I think uh, Chris Harrington um, called the fact that his sophomore season might not be, you know, this huge step forward statistically that everybody's sort of expecting, because that's sort of like what happens to a lot of these guys. Um, like famously recently, Jason Tatum had kind of a disappointing second season. I think Donovan Mitchell, like people were kind of beginning to get out on him, you know, during his second season, because a lot of times when you have just such an amazing rookie year, you don't take that next step immediately. The, you know, the, the scouting book is out on you, like their scouting reports out on you. The defense is focused on you. And that's really what Jaws kind of been struggling with is the defense is really honing in on him, um, especially without Jaron there. Who else do you have to worry about on the Grizzlies like doing anything? It's more, uh, you know, it's more the Josh show and, 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 and frankly, just his, his ability to make his teammates better is what keeps Memphis in the game a lot. Um, you know, they don't really have a lot of plan B's down the stretch. You know, if, if he gives the ball up, especially if like Dylan Brooks is on the court, he may not get it back. So it's like, it is, it does kind of devolve into sort of an ISO game, but I mean, the Grizzlies are 500 hovering right around there again. And I mean, he, it's clearly like the whole team changed when he got there. And that's really what my piece was about was just the attitude and the level that these guys hold themselves to is because of job. Ja. job ja wasn't there. If he was another guy that was like, if, if you swapped Trey young and him, I don't think the Grizzlies would be better with Trey Young, even though Trey Young is is a more efficient player. I think that's a great point. At the end of the day, you know, it, you can look at the statistics, and you know, we all love to do that to a certain degree, whatever that may be, you know, based off your taste. But I do think also you look at who influences a winning culture better. And I do think that there's a reason why when you compare all these other young players besides Luka to Jaw, there's a reason why the Grizzlies and Jaw stand out as being in playoff contention while these other teams have not been. And that's because of the presence Jaw brings. But it's not just Jaw that stood out this year. In a year of data accumulation, there's some other things that have stood out for this Grizzlies team, both perhaps to a positive and a negative. Really interested to get 
into to talking with Matt what he feels stands out. We'll talk with him about the data accumulation that's gone on this year in Memphis. If wagering and betting on sports is something that you enjoy doing and you're a Grizzlies fan, it probably has been a bit frustrating over the past six weeks. At some points, you should bet the over every game with how well their offense is playing, and others, you need to bet the under. But the thing about it is, is, is that in general, if you enjoy wagering and betting on sports, I have the place that has you covered, and that's betonline.ag. BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at BetOnline. Get all the new latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MOB, NBA, NHL, and all your USC MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device, put in the promo code locked on, and sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbooks experts. Visit betonline.ag today. So, Matt, I allude to it as data accumulation. That's a direct quote from Zach Kleiman. But, you know, I'll ask you this directly. It's been a year where the Grizzlies franchise, where their front office has just let the players, let the roster develop as it needed to. And with injuries and ineffectiveness at times from some of the better talents on here, some players have really stepped up. So just from watching the progression of the depth of the Grizzlies this season, who are one or two players who really have improved even more than you may have anticipated, maybe even to the point of being considered long-term pieces now when they may not have been at the start of the season. Oh, man. I mean, <laughs> Kyle Anderson uh, has improved more than – I mean, like, he might get in most improved player of the year votes. I mean, he has been – he has fundamentally changed the type of player he is, which – you know, early on, everybody kind of was like, oh, my God, he's making threes. But really, the the news for me was, oh, my God, he is shooting the basketball. This is new. Like, even he made threes in, in San Antonio at, like, a bad clip, but better than he had in Memphis. Like, he was, a, he was like, a, around a 30% three-point shooter, which was better than he had been in his first two years in Memphis. But his volume really ticked up. And, like, we just couldn't have a guy on the court that would not shoot you know, would not shoot, would only occasionally set up his teammates. Having him willing and kind of able to knock down shots at threes at even like a a marginal clip was such a huge advantage because we just don't have a lot of that coming from anywhere other than the two-guard spot. Um, I mean, beyond that, like, the real question is, how many guys have disappointed? Like, (laughs) I mean, the the real hack here is like, how many guys like would not be in the discussion for improving? Like obviously Justice Winslow has had his struggles, but I mean the the roster just like there aren't really that many disappointments. I mean who do you who uh, I'll turn it back to you. Who who are you thinking of? I mean, pick one. I mean DeAnthony Melton to me as far as someone that has sure. really stepped up as a value, I think he has as well. And not directly because he's like skills-wise taken a regression. I would say Brandon Clark has not taken the leap many had hoped for. Yeah, and it is a bit sure. of a disappointment. But to be fair, it's kind of like Jaron Jackson Jr. It's the injury aspect of things. So those would be the guys I would label as the third and fourth guys who I would put in a core four, if you will, of this current roster for our future. That would kind of be my answer to that question, if it makes sense. 
Yeah, I I was thinking, I mean, Melton, I was high on Melton last year. So I don't know. Part of that is like, what is the general consensus of this player? And how, do, how does my opinion stack up to them? Like, I thought the contract they signed to Melton in the offseason. I mean, I said at the time, like, this is the best contract signed in the entire NBA. Like, he's going to outperform this, like, pretty much you know, no questions, like sight unseen. I saw the number and I was like, oh yeah, that's a steal. Um, and yeah, I mean, I would, he's a tricky fit with like the rest of the guys. Um, I would add Bain in there as far as like a core piece, quote unquote. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess the only one you could say has kind of like regressed would be um, Brandon Clark just because of, I mean, it's been a weird, I think people, I think everybody sort of underrates the, weirdness of this year and how how it's probably been pretty tough to be an NBA player during this like you know take three months off from you know March 2020 to whenever and then oh you have to go down to Orlando and oh you're gonna have a full off season no wait you're coming back in December and oh by the way you have to go get tested down like with the trainers and each time you have to go into you know a bus and it takes an hour and like how do you improve your skills in that environment is just I mean, for a young team, yeah, they have the energy and they have the depth, but, like, a lot of these guys just didn't have time to work on their game in the offseason. They were all being quarantined. Absolutely, and, and you know, they're getting to a point now in the season. You know, I had talked with it um, on Sports 56 yesterday with um, Greg Gaston and Eli Savoy. also <laughs> talked with it with other folks. I think that fatigue, you know, may be playing a part in their also experience. This The main guys on this roster, outside of maybe – um, Jonas and Kyle, they've never really been in this part of an NBA season before. So I think that mm-hmm. plays into it. But I think that you hit the nail on the head, though, in that there is an underrated aspect to this season. And that makes me wonder. I don't think that there's a mirage when it comes to the development of our young core. But one question that I had for you was this, was that we've seen an identity emerge, especially for the depth of this team, to be a good defense. We've been a top 10 defense for most of the season. Mm-hmm. I think it's legitimate as well. The offense has shown flashes. So what do you think is more believable in terms of us being an above-average offense or maybe going into next year having arguably a top-10 defense that can be sustainable? Yeah, I I don't know because, I mean, the two players that I underrated relative to what they've done is, first, Kyle Anderson, because I just, I just have not been a fan until this season. Then I did a total 180 once he started shooting. The other guy is Jonas. And for all that people complain about Taylor Jenkins rotations recently, um, I don't really want to get into that really, really, because it seems to change night to night. But the fact that they have a top 10, they they have a good defense. They've been as high as six, I believe. Um, With Jonas in the lineup playing just basically a, a drop B big coverage and grab, grab defensive rebounds is pretty it's pretty impressive both from the coach and Jonas like I did not think like I'm skeptical that it would persist in the playoffs but just crafting that out of in a regular season is is impressive both for the player and the and the system and I think I don't know if uh I don't know if I would I don't know how exactly to answer your question but I think there is something in Jenkins defensive philosophy that will get the Grizzlies to outperform perhaps their personnel. Like, you know, they can, if they can do this with a, with a classic drop guy and like two good defensive wings, like Dylan and Kyle, 
their defensive backcourt isn't great. Like Ja is probably over out outgunned like on the defensive end. Like he's probably a mismatch. And their their twos aren't amazing defenders. Like especially when you're starting Grayson. So like if you I, I guess I would probably say the defense is probably sustainable, at least in the regular season. Like I have my doubts in the playoffs, but I I would probably answer your question saying the defense. Um it's really impressive what they've done this year. And that kind of segues into my next question. You know, we won't get into too much of the rotations because I think you bring up another good point in that it seems like that Taylor Jenkins has kind of gone from, you know, having a set idea of what he wanted to do. Some of them worked, some of them didn't, to now kind of just figuring out what to go with as we really get close to the playoffs. But Taylor Jenkins standing out, top six. He was six last year in Coach of the Year voting. I think he's a shoe-in for top 10 this year. When it comes to his long-term ability with this team, Matt, what do you think stands out as his best trait? I personally think it is getting the most out of players, like improving the shooting and Kyle and DeAnthony and getting defensive value out of players. What do you? What stands out to you as being the best trait about Coach Jenkins that makes you have faith in him to continue to lead us to the heights that we want to be led to over the next few years? So in his rookie season, the thing that was really – really caught my eye was he got everybody to play. I'm going to call it carefree, but he didn't yank anybody. And that led to a lot of guys taking a lot of shots. They probably shouldn't, but that's what clearly what he was telling them to do, because if he was mad about it, he would have yanked Dylan Brooks. He would have yanked Grayson. He would have yanked Jaron and just simply getting these guys to, to, to understand I'm going to take three pointers and, I'm not going to get pulled, even if it's a bad shot. Like that just instilled, you know, a sort of like YOLO atmosphere around the, the like the first, his rookie season that had been like, it, it's pretty impressive. And it went everybody, everywhere from Jay Crowder on down, like um, the whole team basically played sort of like fearless. I, I, that And that's sort of like a characteristic Jaw has too. He sort of like, really gets these guys to play fearlessly and you never feel like the moment is the moment might be too big, but they're not like scared. They're not worried that they're going to take a bad shot this year. The defense, he sort of like added that. And I feel like if it persists into next year, I'm just going to say like, you know, we're probably going to have a good defense outperform our, uh, you know, regular season talent on the defensive end. Um, and I, I gotta say, like, I think his best trait is probably just developing young guys. I think he's a good coach for this Grizzlies team. I also think that if you just transported this coach, the Taylor Jenkins of 2020-2021, onto the 2023-2024 season, I think there might be some problems. Like, I just, I think that he needs to grow and really, like, he's going to have different goals, too, in that season. Like, you're, you're ostensibly going to be trying to, like, really get into the playoffs and really win and maybe host the first, first round. You know, you're, you're, you've got different goals. You're going to be maximizing every night. He's going to be making different choices. Right now, I feel like he's just trying to find different combinations that make sense. I mean, the one thing that nobody really wants to admit is that the Grizzlies have, and I actually heard you on the, the locker room uh, with uh, uh, with Nate and um, John Hollinger, 
uh, and they kind of mentioned this, and I had talked about it before, but the Grizzlies are winning with depth. And, you know, that's going to disappear in the playoffs. Like, when, when everybody's playing eight guys, like, your depth doesn't matter. You got to win with eight guys. And, like, he's clearly my, – my thing with Jenkins is I believe he's trying to find his eight guys right now, and he's playing, like, yesterday he played Ja the entire first quarter, which he hasn't really done recently, I don't believe. And he's clearly, like, stress-testing different parts of the playoff lineup. And it's it's causing some difficulties, but, like, that's not something that other coaches have done here in Memphis. Like, they kind of just do their stuff, and, like, that's it. But I feel like Jenkins sort of realizes, like, I have to elevate the ceiling of this team or, like, figure out, you know, give myself the best chance, or we're just going to get clobbered when, when rotations tighten. That's a really interesting point, and it highlights another thing that I think that, you know, kind of needs to be, you know, really spotlight needs to be focused on. Coach Jenkins, just like many of these players, this is their second or third season. This is Coach Jenkins' second season as an NBA coach, and I agree with you, Matt. The philosophy that he's applying right now, if he applies it to a team that, you know, has been there before, is trying to make the playoffs, maybe be a surprise title contender, his philosophy is going to have to change from how he has approached it now to how he approaches it then. But I do think he's made a lot of good decisions. I think that instilling that confidence, and that's what a lot of these players say in the media sessions, is the confidence that they have, that their coach has confidence in them. I think that's a big factor. But Matt brought up another interesting point when he was talking about my conversation with Nate Duncan and John Hollinger that I really think is going to be fun to talk with him about here in the third segment. Coming up, we're going to talk about the end of the season with Matt and how that could propel the Grizzlies into a very important offseason here in the next few months. If you're someone that's trying to make life a bit healthier uh, for your everyday routine, I can tell you this, it starts with small yet significant commitments. And one of the ways to do that is to, you know, start with the daily snacks that you enjoy. And one option that I have for you is Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar. It tastes like a candy bar, but yet has all the health benefits of a protein bar. We recently determined that uh, Coconut Brownie Chunk was the best tasting protein bar in our March Madness Built Bar Tournament, but there's only 18 different flavors to choose from when you go to BuiltBar.com, and it's a great way for you to start your day with breakfast, in the afternoon as a snack, before or after a workout. However you choose to enjoy Built Bar, it'll make your day better. Go to BuiltBar.com, put in the promo code LOCK15, that's LOCK15, and you'll get 15% off your next order from Built Bar. Again, go to BuiltBar.com, put in the promo code LOCK15 to get 15% off your next order from Built Bar. Today on the Locked On Today podcast, how should NFL teams handle players who do not want to get vaccinated? Get more of the sports news you need in less time with the Locked On Today podcast. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. So Matt, when it comes to the end of the season for the Grizzlies, I know there's been a lot of discussion. Um, you know, I mentioned before the season, my goal is to get the best draft pick possible. Joe Mel- Melanax has mentioned he has no expectations. Obviously, several folks want to make the playoffs. My question to you is this. Do you feel how the season ends? Maybe we make a surprising playoff run. Maybe we miss the playing game. Do you really think that that changes the offseason goals that are already in place for this team? I I doubt it. Um, I don't think, like, it's going to be hard for them. to. I'm kind of, like, taking they win a playoff round off the table. Like, I just don't think that would happen. If that happened, maybe, like, maybe something would change. But I really think, I mean, this, this, 
this front office has said since the beginning, you know, we're taking the long view. This is not, we're not going to rush things. And like, that's, they have stuck to that. And I guarantee you, they do, they are not reading everybody's tweets when they say, get justice out of there. You know, like he's, he's killing us. Like they were trying to make it work. They recognized there, there were other situ other factors at play. I believe that, that like led to justice playing. But aside from that, I don't believe, I think that they're going to try to be opportunistic. They're not going to rush things. If a good trade that makes them better comes along, they're only going to do it if it is, you know, plus EV for them. They're not going to overpay, I don't believe, to uh, move up. Um, and I kind of went in with this season, like, I just, I had no idea what was going to happen. You know, we had two... I knew the team was deep, but Justice and Jaron being out and having no timetable for them, I was like, this was the first year I hadn't gambled on the Grizzlies in probably like a decade. Um, just because I was like, I had no idea what's going to happen. I don't even know if they're going to play all 82 games. And they got shut down for, for like two weeks, and they looks like they're going to play all 82. It's it's, it's wild. Um, so I don't know. I mean, what do you, what do you think? Do you think it's going to change their view? I, I'm, I, I w- it would be interesting if you disagreed, and I'd like to hear that. Yeah, I don't really think it changes the view because I think that, you know, I, basically, as several other people have said, there was this was a house money year, basically. A year in which other things are impacting the season more than they usually do due to COVID and, you know, the unprecedented offseason and all that. Plus, they didn't make a move at the trade deadline. And this is what Zach Kleiman had said at the first of the season. This is a year in which we've been very active at putting a roster together. We want to give it time to see how it grows and have some questions of ours answered organically. And I think that that's what has happened. I do think, and this is really what I want to get your thoughts on, because you have come up, some of my favorite interactions with Matt on Twitter are discussing trade targets, ideas, orchestrating trades, all those different things. But I do think that there is going to be some type of goal, especially with so many players who are on one-year deals next year, Jonas, Mm -hmm. Kyle, Grayson. They could go one of two directions. Have all those guys play out the season and have really good cap flexibility for the next offseason, or kind of you alluded to in the second segment, Matt, you're looking at turning quality into quantity somehow through a trade, maybe moving Mm -hmm. up in the draft. Do you think it comes down to, to, to that decision, turning quality into quantity into quality this offseason, or maybe really prioritizing cap flexibility going forward? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think, I think if you held a gun, if I, gave, if I gave the front office truth serum, I think they would say we're surprised at how good we are. And I think that they're probably I, – I don't believe that they will ever – they will do a trade yet – that is like they look at it and in whatever value spreadsheet they have or whatever program they use that pumps out like a value. I don't believe that they will do something that says like, this is not, this will make you better, but you're giving up more value than you're gaining. With that said, at some point they're going to have to trade off this depth that they have. It's a good problem to have, but it's not sustainable. And I don't believe that they are going to just, lose all of this depth for nothing. Like, I don't think they're just going to play out next season without the steps that could take a couple shapes. Like one thing I've been noodling is renegotiating and extending somebody like Jonas or Kyle, you know, they can use some of that cap space 
as part of a, an extension and actually give them more money next season, pump up that last year of their contract, and then extend for future seasons at a lower dollar value. So, like, basically, instead of paying Jonas, you know, $18 million and adding another year on his contract, you pay him some of that next year on top of his already agreed-to contract, and then you extend him at a lower number. Like, let's say you, you, hair, you trim off. So you're kind of keeping these – you're maintaining these value contracts for another year. I think they'd look at that, specifically for Kyle, maybe for Jonas. And then I think that they're probably going to look at swapping out one of – I mean, like the two-guard situation. They've got three guys if you count Melton. And it's really hard to get. those. All, all three of those guys – Melton Bain and uh, Grayson, all good shooters, but it's really hard to get them all on the court at the same time, specifically, especially with Ja. So my thought is trying to swap one of those guys out for a piece that maybe fits better, some, getting some shooting from a bigger player, like a, a small forward or maybe a 3-4 type player. Um, outside of that, like, I think they're still just going to be opportunistic. I, I just – I don't know – if it's if they make a move that makes them better, or if they they trade up, it's not going to be an obvious move. It's going to be like something came along and it's opportunistic, and they just feel like they have to pounce. But the the long term goal, and I know I'm talking a long time, but the long term goal is adding another high value upside player. Like where is that third? We've t- everybody's talked about it for a long time. Where is that third really good player coming from? because he's probably not on the roster and you have a lot of good players and can you consolidate those? It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Well, and that would make you, and I think that you bring up a great point. I know today, for instance, that there was talk about Harrison Barnes, kind of an incremental improvement trade. But as you mentioned, getting that shooting into bigger player where you put together some pieces, maybe in a you know future first, justice, grace, and all that different stuff. We won't go into too much of this. You know, that, that's what the offseason is for. But another thing that you and me had kind of talked about before the show was the draft. And if you want to talk about that third piece with upside and a draft whose strength and the depth of its strength is wings, talented wings, which match what the Grizzlies are looking for, I don't think it's out of the question where you could see the Grizzlies being aggressive in the draft, especially if they get into that late lottery. Just your thoughts on being aggressive in a draft in general, and, you know, again, not to get too much into it, but a a target or two that you might like in this draft. Yeah, so you, I was asking you, like, hey, do you know something about college basketball? Because I, I, I feel like I'm kind of on, I have a take, and I'm, I'm, like, not sure if it's cogent or if it's just, like, I'm the noob that doesn't really understand things. But, like, I really, this and this player wouldn't exactly be what Memphis is looking for, but I think he's awesome. And that's Scotty Barnes out of Florida State. What do you what do you think about Scotty Barnes? I I know that Vicini is like really high on him and has a mock like sixth over at the Athletic, but like everybody else seems kind of down on him. And I I watched I watched him play and I was like, this guy's really good. Uh, what do you what do you think about? I, I, he's not mentioned as much for Memphis because he's he's mocked to go pretty high. But I would be interested in trading up for him. What what would your thoughts be? My thoughts on Scotty Barnes and the little that, you know, I've watched him a little bit, but I've also read up and looked at things that others have said about him. And the consensus that kind of I got from him, as well as what others have said, is that he is a do-it-all type front court player, but there is not a clear elite thing that he does well. 
Like his defense could be very good. His secondary facilitation could be very good. I've asked a few folks about how he would compare to an Isaac Okoro. And the reason why a few folks have said they would be more comfortable taking on Okoro than Barnes is that Okoro has that elite, like all NBA level defensive upside. And Barnes, again, is just very good in a lot of different areas. And I think the reason why that he is a wing and is doing a lot of things, he fits that Memphis mold like we've seen them draft, you know, over the past few years. But for a team that this year is going to be drafting higher than it usually would, and with the need for offensive firepower and shooting, I think that's kind of why there's not really been a connection between Barnes and Memphis is because he doesn't have that clear offensive direct upside in the form of shooting that others may have. And that's why I think that, you know, there may not be a lot of connection between him and Memphis, though I don't think that it's a bad thing at all if you wind up with Barnes and Memphis. Yeah, I I just feel like getting back to Ja, I feel like it's a little unfair. He he feels sometimes like he's marooned with like one or two other good athletes. <laughs> like he's got Dylan, he's got Kyle, he's got Jonas, like besides Clark and Melton, he doesn't really have anybody to run with. And I just wonder what, like how, how irrepressible the team would be if you could get another athletic wing who, you know, Barnes kind of reminded me of Igudala, like when I was watching him, like just this guy that can do a little bit of everything and, and plays really hard and gets out. Um, I don't know if that's fair. Like he's, he's a little bit skinnier, but, uh, and he, he just struck me as like a really smart player. And when I think about Ja and just like some of the stuff that, they, that he brings that isn't leverage, like you're right, Barnes can't shoot. But, you know, I feel like it'd be kind of a cop out if they just went the other way and took Kispert because like Kispert will be in the range probably around where the Grizzlies draft and he would be a good fit, quote unquote. But I feel like it's just kind of, it's not a high upside play. You know, you're kind of yeah. just, you're surrounding job with a bunch of station to station players and yep. you're still looking for that second, you know, ball handler, which, you know, Barnes isn't going to give you the three point shot off the dribble, but he might eventually maybe. And if he doesn't, at least you've got some ball handling that you can, and it, it's from a bigger player. So you can kind of like the, the need to have Tyus Jones on the roster isn't as significant anymore. You can kind of maybe play Barnes with, with Melton in the backcourt and maybe even get Bane on there too, you know, so one of your two guards can be on there too. I don't know. That's, that was kind of my thought process. I just, I kind of fell in love with the kid and, you know, I, I don't watch everybody, but if I have somebody I like, I kind of like watch them and then it becomes a confirmation bias where I watch them and I'm like, I only pick out the stuff I like out of them, you know? So anyway, I got that ball rolling, Scotty Barnes. But, uh, well, and, anyway, and I think you hit the nail on the head, though, is that you don't draft obvious fit over clear upside potential. Like if 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 Corey Kispert is there for where we are on the draft board, and maybe a Zaire Williams or you know a, a Keon Johnson or a Scotty Barnes, it probably ain't going to fall that way. But just using that as an example, mm-hmm. if those yeah. guys are on the board with Kispert, you take those guys because of the higher overall across the board upside, but. If you were to put maybe a Scotty Barnes, in my opinion, with the Moses Moody, who I believe has significant value to tap into shooting the ball, and they're around the same age, I think I'll probably go Moody over Barnes. Mm. But I agree with you. 
at the end of the day, if you can get someone out there who's running with Jaw and is on that same wavelength, you know, IQ-wise, that has a lot of value in itself. So I do agree you don't want just fit to be what separates these players. Upside has to be there. And that's why I think it's going to be interesting to see because this is really going to be the first time this new front office is going to make an upside pick with a bunch of options on the table versus when they drafted two and they drafted jaw and they found really good value late in draft. So it's going to be very interesting to see in the draft this year. Yeah. The other thing I was thinking about just draft related, and I've talked about this on Twitter a little bit, maybe I wrote about it, but I can't remember is like, you know, you, you just mentioned them drafting jaw. That was kind of the consensus pick, but they still get a little bit of credit for, for drafting him. Like, it's not like a draft steal by any means, you know, he kind of fell, he, it fell like right, it, right on their pick. But anyway, the picks they've made in the twenties and on, they've nailed every single one, Clark, Bain, Tillman, even Tilly and, and Conchar. And I wonder how much, how long that sustains. Like, is it just these guys are good because the team isn't great and like, it's easy to play minutes on this Grizzlies team because they don't have, you know, an established pecking order, and there, there, there aren't as many minutes spoken for, and Taylor Jenkins plays a ton of guys anyway. That, that, that changes when you're winning 50 games. Like, it's a lot harder for a guy like Xavier Tillman to, like, if, if you just fast-forwarded Brandon Clark's career, and he was, like, 26 or 27, Tillman isn't going to play over Clark when he's 27. You know what I mean? Like, Clark is going to be who Clark is, and hopefully he's healthy, and he's, he's just going to be a better player. So I wonder how much of this is sort of like, are they just getting low-hanging fruit? And I, I wonder, like, it seems as if they have, like, this edge over other front offices and finding these kind of, like, value players. And I just wonder how long that sustains. You know what I mean? I agree. And, and I take their ability to find these late-round gems in one of two directions. You know, it gives me faith if they really hit on one and they exceed expectations immediately like a Brandon Clark or a Desmond Bain, because at that point, those are considered core members that you found in the, in the late first round, but they're either core members or they could be used as main parts of a trade to get a, a true star level type guy. Right. Mm. And also if they've shown the ability to find these guys in the second round, like when they traded for Melton or when they drafted Xavier Tillman, when money starts being tied up more centrally in, in, in a few players like John, Jaron, whoever you may get to get be your third or fourth most important guy, it gives me faith that this front office can then fill out competent depth by drafting well yeah. and having guys on cheap contracts. So that's the value that I've seen from the picks that they've had over the past few years. So here's what I was thinking. Like if if they really do have an edge, and I'm not I'm not convinced they do just because I think there's an argument to be made that like these guys just look good because they're getting minutes on a young team and the bar is low. If this is a real edge and they're just able to pluck, like if they're just 25% more likely to pluck a solid contributor on a rookie scale contract, if they pick in the twenties, then they just need to start swinging for massive upside and, and like even just filling up their, like they should go and make a win now trade basically, because, you know, they, they can fill up their cap sheet. They don't have to worry about going into free agency and like, you know, in three years or something to sort of like do a reset. They can just keep plucking. 
they're never going to have to trade a first round pick for like a starter. If, if this is real, if they can just like pluck a guy who will be a starter two years after they draft him because they're just that good. I don't think anybody's that good, but I'm just saying like, if they are that good, <laughs> like, they can start filling up the boat. I mean, they could, they could, they could make a trade and, and consolidate, you know, three of these guys into somebody a little bit better and, and really, you know, just kind of count on their ability to magic up a, a guy making $2 million that, that is, you know, seventh man quality or something. And it gives you faith for a few other things about this front office that perhaps they can pluck a guy in the teens, Matt, who becomes a Donovan Mitchell or a Giannis or a Kawhi to support John Jaren. That's so rare. I don't want to put too much faith on that. But I do say in general, over the next 12 to 18 months, we talk about these small markets and how it's so critical that the, there is competent it's competence in a small market front office. You've seen it in Oklahoma City to an extent in Milwaukee. You know, you've seen it other places where it just absolutely is not taking advantage of opportunities like with Anthony Davis in New Orleans. I think everybody thinks Memphis has a competent front office. They've got a front office that can make star players stay here, potentially want to come here. Over the next 12 to 18 months, we're really going to figure that out in support of John Jaron as they restructure this roster for when John Jaron start to get paid. And that's what I think is going to be probably the most interesting narrative over all this over the next probably 12 to 18 months, basically through next year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. It, it's going to be, it's going to be, uh, I don't know. I mean, the, the off season could go a lot of different ways. Um, and like, I think you said, I, I just, I don't think anything that happens this year will change that. I mean, I went, I went into the year sort of like, like you said, it's house money and next year is when the expectations kick in. So, so Matt, I think that I'm going to put you on the spot as well and, and take as long as you want if you'd like to. Um, my, my understanding is Deep Fried Couch, Chase Lucas. I <laughs> talked with him on Monday. And y'all have another favorite subject that y'all like to talk about on Twitter from time to time, and it is a show called The Challenge, I believe. I believe that y'all are extremely big fans of that show. Am I correct? Well, I mean, it's the greatest show ever created. So, yeah, I mean, who wouldn't be a fan of, of The Challenge? <laughs> so. I will say I've watched a few episodes. I haven't really got into it that much just because I just just have not. So I'll take your word on it's the greatest show ever. But I asked Chase the question, the five Grizzlies that he'd choose to basically go into a challenge with. And I know that he mentioned Ja for the life of me. I I meant to write it down, and I I cannot remember the other three, but I think Ja and Tony made the list. But I'm going to change it up for you just in case you were prepared for this. I want to know the three past or present Grizzlies that you feel would be the toughest to face on an episode of the challenge if you were a contestant. I mean, <laughs> all of them. <laughs> they're they're all they're all <laughs> I don't I don't know if you know this about me, Sean, but I'm not a professional athlete. Uh, uh, I'm not either. <laughs> yeah, so um, I think they'd all do fairly well. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I might have, I might, I might be able to to take on, you know, forty five year old Allen Iverson or something. But anyway, um, good question. Okay, so I was a Division three football player, so I have a little bit of athleticism. But what mostly, position? Mostly grit. Uh, wide receiver. Um, awesome. Played at Rhodes College actually in Memphis, Tennessee. Okay, cool. I, gotcha. Yeah, that's why I went to Memphis. That's why I was in Memphis. Um, so you said the hardest, the hardest. Uh, yeah, 
people. The guys okay. you would least want to face. Okay, so normal. I'm assuming you're talking about eliminations. So it, those usually are brute strength, climbing, or some kind of like puzzle. So just I feel like I could beat almost all of them in puzzles. So I'm going to pick a couple. I'm going to pick Shane because I think he would actually possibly beat me. And then he would beat me at everything athletically first, but then he might also beat me in a puzzle. All right. Um, I'm going to say uh, Zach Randolph because he, he actually – like I might die. Uh, <laughs> I mean, James Johnson too. I mean, okay, so it would be James Johnson, Zach, and then Shane. Uh, would be my answers because because James Johnson literally would kill me. I would I would actually probably have to find a way to tactically quit without TJ knowing I quit, so I would <laughs> you know not be banned from the show because TJ hates quitters. Um, but so as far as fear goes, it would be Zach, and I would have more fear going against Zach or James Johnson than any other person, and they would smell that fear on me, and then they would just definitely crush me. So. I can't, remember, I can't remember. I can't remember because James Johnson is a similar answer. I want to say either Chase mentioned it or I may have, based off what he was talking about, suggested it. But it it seems like James Johnson is a popular answer for this show, the challenge. So I'll have to check that out. Uh, Matt, there was a reason I wanted you on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, getting your insight. Obviously, you do great work for great causes uh, through your writing, but just where folks can find you and your opinions, as well as your great writing uh, for, for a big off season, which I'm sure many would, would certainly like to um, read up on your opinions of things. Yes, yeah, so I have a Patreon account. Um, it is the pinned tweet on my Twitter. It's uh, at the real Herdlicka. So I'll spell my last name. It's H R D L I C K A. Um, and yeah, it's just $2 a month. And um, I always kind of felt a little bashful about asking people to pay money, but it really is sort of like a self-motivator. And I end up giving away most of the money to charity. Um, we've done, we've given to Memphis food bank, um, T or mid South food bank, excuse me. Um, Agape, which is another uh, local Memphis um, nonprofit, and then some other disaster area uh, relief um, things. Uh, Team Rubicon, which is a great they they employ veterans in, in disaster areas like cleaning up after hurricanes or wildfires, different stuff like that. Which we have one of those like scenes every month. So um, they were actually just down in Georgia where I live, um, uh, cleaning up after hurricanes and helping people get back on their feet. So. Um, yeah, so at least 50% and usually most of the, of, of my patrons get, uh, sent over to, uh, charities. Thing that makes great insight even better is when it comes in an effort to go towards great causes. And that's what Matt is certainly all about. But again, when it comes to Grizzlies, you know, of course, over Grizzly Bear Blues, I know that Matt, that, that's been, you know, part of his past as well. But again, just such a talented group of folks who are covering the Grizzlies and have opinion on the Grizzlies nowadays. We want to make sure that we enjoy all of them. And Matt is among the best when it comes to that. My name is Sean Coleman for Matt Herdlicka. Matt, number one, thank you so much for joining us. We certainly would love to have you again in time. Absolutely. It was a lot of fun. My name's Sean Coleman for Matt Herdlick. Again, you can find the show at Locked on Grizz, myself at Stats SAC, wherever you can find the podcast, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, uh, Apple Podcasts, podcast app on your phone. That's where we will, will be. Once again, for Matt Herdlick, my name is Sean Coleman. We'll talk to you again soon here on another edition of the Locked on Grizzlies podcast.